3. I want to talk about the life of Peter, but I do want to center it in a particular scripture, even though I won't be dealing with all the context of these verses. But in Acts chapter 3, I want to read verses 14 and 15. Oh, I'm so glad to be married to that lovely gal. Oh, I tell you. Oh, my goodness. Acts 3, verse 14 and 15. But all of you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now look also at chapter 4, and I'll read also 14, 15, and 16. And behold, the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So, Father, for the next few moments as we minister your word, give us ears to hear. Anoint your people. God, they would have hearts that are receptive. And God, help me to speak clearly, to clarify anything that is complex. But more than anything else, Lord, let your son be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking about the effect of the resurrection upon Peter. How did that event change him? How did it transform him? Some people who come into our lives have positive and negative effects. If you think about your parents, how you were raised, your value system, your morals, your ethics, even some of your habits you gained from the people that raised you. And you know that if you had parents that loved you and cared for you, then you know how positive that effect was upon you. But you also have known of and probably have known people whose parents and certain people had a negative effect on them. They saw things they should not have saw or seen. They, they heard things they should never have ever come into contact with. Nevertheless, God, by his grace, very often helps people escape some of the worst conditions and yet go on to do great things for him, despite their background. Now, in this case, as we're talking about the resurrection, we know that a resurrection has to be preceded by death. But then think about the effect that a death can have on someone. Have you ever seen someone die? Have you ever been in the room when a person breathes their last breath? If you're in a vocation that deals with death, then you may have seen so many of them that the accumulated effect of them causes you not to even remember a number of them. But most people can remember the first time they've seen someone die. I I, I know I've been in a room on several occasions where people had passed away 
or right there nearby in the vicinity. I'm thinking now of a time I was sitting on a porch in Amman, Jordan with an Arabic family. And this elderly gentleman was telling his family that he's going to get up and go into the bedroom and sew some of his pants. He got up, walked into the house, hadn't been in there, I don't think, two or three minutes, maybe even less than that. And then I heard a yell. His wife had screamed, Jalil, Jalil, that was his name. She went in there and he was dead. Well, of course, when we got back there into the room, of course, his body was still warm. But I just watched that whole transformation. Listened to the people as they cried. and It broke my heart. This gentleman was a man that loved God. Three churches were started in that house that I was living in. The Baptist Church, a Nazarene Church, Christian Missionary Alliance Church, all started in the living room there in that church, in that house, I should say. Well, the sons went down in the backyard, built a casket because they're going to bury him within 24 hours. I stood there with the family, unclothed him and then put other clothing on him, prepared his body with the family for the burial. That evening, the family, extended family showed up at the house and those women gathered in the living room while the men were in another room. And those ladies just wailed and screamed and yelled as was their custom. And in the end, we buried Jalil. Some things make an indelible imprint upon your mind. You just don't forget it. If you've been there and been involved with it. But at the same time, you want to think about somebody like Peter. What if you actually saw someone die? You saw the manner in which they died. Let's not forget what he saw with Christ. Not too many weeks prior, this gentleman had been in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And then the soldiers came and arrested our Savior. And the Bible says in Matthew that every disciple fled. Not just one, not most of them, but every single one of them fled. And yet they took Jesus from one trial to another trial until he had a number of trials during the night. The elders, and Sadducees and priests, they spat on him. They took him before Pilate. Pilate found out he should have been in Herod's jurisdiction. Eventually sent him up there and the soldiers under Herod's care. They disrobed him, treated him horribly. They spat upon him. Sent him back to Pilate. Pilate was a man that didn't want to make a decision. He had no confidence in himself and could not project confidence to the people. Then Jesus' back was lacerated and he was forced to bear a cross to a hillside. And of course, in the middle of all of this, Peter denied him three times. The Bible says it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And he went out and wept bitterly because he knew that he had just fulfilled the word of the Lord. And while he was weeping and crying, he could see how Jesus was being ill treated. But now that he's carrying that cross, just like the women of Jerusalem and other places, he's following at a distance. And when Jesus got to Golgotha, they hung him up there between earth and heaven. And Peter got to look at Jesus hanging there. 
with a crown of thorns pressed upon his brow, blood trickling down his back, pretty much shredded. It's a bloody mess. He's been stripped. He's being shamed. People are walking by. There already had been multitudes of people that were basically straining their eyes and stretching their necks to see this terrible spectacle of death as he was walking down the road with that cross. There was nothing the disciples could do. Yet Jesus hanging on that cross with Roman soldiers all around him, he even says amongst those seven words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a man of God. Pierced hands, pierced feet, soon a pierced side in agony and in pain and hanging there with people staring at him, glaring at him and mocking him. And he is able to say, Father, forgive them. Then he bowed his head saying into your hands, my father, I commend my spirit. It is finished. And he died. I don't think Peter ever could have forgotten that. And that's why I think on the morning that the ladies showed up with all of the spices, I don't have a doubt they probably were up all night. How would you have slept? If that was the vision you had of someone that you loved, if your last sight of him or her was with such cruelty and brutality, how would you have slept in the previous two or three nights? I'm sure their stomachs turned, but nevertheless, Peter had a glimpse of the king. Now, if that made an impact on him, then I'd like to know what kind of an impact it must have made on him when he saw him when he was raised. For someone to be raised from the dead and for you to hear about somebody being raised from the dead, I'm sure that would stir your heart, would stir it. And the ladies came to the tomb early in the morning, and the Bible makes it very plain that an angel had already pushed the stone away. One was seated on the stone. We've got angels inside the tomb. It just seemed like they're everywhere. And they're asking the ladies, why in the world are you looking for somebody who's living amongst all of these dead folks out here in this cemetery? He's not here. Go and tell his disciples he's alive. And them ladies took off, you know, they, they ran they ran as fast as they could. And they told those disciples who were huddling together and all the men were afraid. They were thinking the Jewish people were going to come after them because maybe they had confiscated the body and had taken it. And they were nervous and fearful. And in the middle of that, the ladies show up and said, look, he's alive. The stone's been rolled away. And what does Peter do? He and another disciple get up as fast as they can run to the tomb. And and, and he was so inspired by what the lady said. It moved him to go to the tomb. It's, It's a marvelous thing to hear that someone has been raised from the dead. Maybe you've heard stories like that. You probably heard me share stories of people that have been raised from the dead. And it's a powerful thing because it reminds you continually that God can do anything. But it's totally different when you meet somebody that's been raised from the dead. Peter heard it from the ladies. He, he knew that, that they were credible witnesses, but he still wanted to verify it for himself. And when he got there, his heart sank but at the same time he was happy because the body wasn't there 
When he made his way back to the disciples, he sat down. And in the middle of all of that, excluding Thomas, Jesus walks into the room. And you know what the Bible says? Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It's one thing to hear about Jesus being raised, but it's another thing to meet him yourself. Now, what is it that God wants out of us? He wants us to be witnesses. So how, how in the world can we be witnesses for the king? Well, a, a witness needs to have direct information of the facts. A witness needs to be credible. And a witness needs to be able to convey the story in such a way that they're believable. But have you ever thought about the, the journey that led Peter to these verses we read in Acts chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 4? In the beginning, he was a fisherman. And then his brother Andrew, who had been a disciple of John the Baptist, came and said, Brother, I believe we found the Messiah. And I'm sure that his brother Peter was thinking, well, what group are you running with this season, Andrew? You were raised a traditional Jew. You walked away from the synagogue to follow this man out in the wilderness named the Baptist. And now you're saying the Baptist was the prophet. And, and, and the Baptist is now telling you about some man named Jesus. And you're trying to tell me that the Messiah that everybody's been waiting for, that he's now here. Andrew said, yes. And he took him. And when Jesus saw Peter, he changed his name. And Peter became a disciple of the Lord when Jesus said to Peter one day when he was passing by, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll show you how to catch men. And that's the ministry of Christ, to turn us into witnesses. Isn't that what happened to you? You heard the gospel and you believed? Yes, I mean, you swallowed the hook, bait, the line, the reel. You swallowed the pole, you swallowed the man holding it. You believed everything they told you about Jesus. And just like that, your life was changed. That's what happened with Peter. But even though Peter started walking with the Lord, he still had the same personality and temperament. He was impulsive. And I've told you before that Peter, he suffered from and was afflicted by what we'll call foot in mouth disease. He had a tendency to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But Jesus was gracious. Jesus was patient. When Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? Peter said, oh, they've got a lot of rumors out here about you. Some people think you're Elijah. Some folks think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. He went through all of these stories. He said, who do you say that I am? Oh, you're Christ, the son of God. Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my father. He gave you that insight and that wisdom. And Peter kept walking with the Lord, became part of that inner circle. And as they got closer and closer and closer and closer to the time where Jesus knew that he'd be betrayed. The Bible says a man by the name of Judas betrayed the king and they didn't even know that he was going to do it. But I don't think Peter saw what happened to Judas before it occurred, and he couldn't see that he would deny Jesus three times. You know, everybody has a price. Judas took 30 pieces of silver, and he betrayed the Lord. What's your price? 
What will somebody give you? What could somebody give you to cause you to betray Christ? Well, maybe you wouldn't, you know, go out and plant a kiss on the Christian's cheek or speak evil of the church. But what's your price to get you to muzzle what you believe about God? There are plenty of people that are chameleons, you know. Judas knew how to be holy in the midst of the disciples and talk the revival talk about healing the sick and casting out devils and all of that. But he also knew how to talk the religious talk when he got amongst the the Sadducees and the chief priests and the elders. When you're around people who don't know God, what's your life like? Are you still a Christian? Are you the kind of person that would say, well, I love God with my whole heart, but I keep Jesus in the church. And when I get outside the church, I'm totally different. I have a totally different life. I don't want anybody to know about it. You shouldn't be that way. I don't think anybody should be able to spend hour after hour with you and not know you're a Christian. It should come out in your language. And I'm telling you, folks. You don't have to just run around and quote scriptures and mention Jesus name all the time. But there's a witness God can give you your spirit that lets you know when you're hanging out with somebody else who's a part of the family. You'll know about how they how they live, how they talk, how they conduct themselves. But three times Peter denied the Lord. And this man, Peter, of course. He didn't want anybody to know he was even attached to Jesus. And plenty of people like that. We have a world today that doesn't like Christ. It's opposed to Christ. In the end, after Peter denied the Lord, I'm sure something in him that day died. And he wondered if he'd ever be useful to God again. But in John 21, Jesus changed that man's life with a question and a statement. Peter, do you love me? Here's the statement. Feed my sheep. And with that statement, Jesus showed Peter that despite your failures and your flaws, I can still use you. Moses murdered a man, spent four decades out in the wilderness. And when God appeared to him out of a burning bush, he never mentioned the murdered man. And one time he simply said to, to Moses, there's some people down there in Egypt that need to be delivered. If God can forgive you, why can't you forgive yourself? If God is able to look beyond your faults. The things in your life that had been sinful in the past and you've struggled with. If he could move you beyond that, why can't you move beyond that? If God can look past your past, why do you still have to try to magnify the things that God has minimized? If he's taken it under the blood and washed it and cleansed you of it, why are you still allowing the devil to put it up under a microscope in order to whisper in your ear and say, see, you've always been worthy of condemnation, you little self-righteous thing. That's how the devil is. But Jesus comes along, he says, feed my sheep. Now, it's interesting to me when you come to Acts chapter 1, where... Peter, in verse 15, stands up in the midst of the disciples. This was the man that denied Jesus three times. All of the disciples fled, but only Peter denied him three times. But one of their closest brethren, Judas, had committed suicide, according to verse 18. And in Matthew 27, he took his own life. Filled with grief and shame, he saw how Christ had been condemned and and Judas went out and hung himself. And I want to tell you right now that there are people who sometimes suffer from all kinds of things and you never know about it. Never know about it. 
You hear family members all the time. When somebody passes away, commits suicide or takes somebody's life. They say, oh, my goodness, I just can't believe I didn't see the signs. There aren't always signs. There are not always signs. The disciples labored with Judas every day, went from village to village, casting out devils, healing the sick. Slowly, his heart grew cold. The disciples didn't know it. And he was sitting with them every day at the meal table. They had no idea. And the scripture says in Luke 22, the devil entered Judas. The disciples never knew it and had the devil in their midst. You can have people in church that are here day after day, week after week and backsliding while they're listening to one message after another. And sometimes you'll never know it because they know how to stand and sing. They know how to be religious. But at the same time, their hypocrisy is betraying Christ. And I find it amazing that Peter, despite the suicide of his brother, he stood up and said, folks, we've got to move on. And I can tell you as a pastor, I've seen a lot of people who can't move on, who refuse to move on when somebody close to them dies. I've seen them curl up in a fetal position, draw the curtains in the room and don't want to leave that dark room for the next year and a half. They just want to be there alone. And you come to them and you have to explain to them. Somebody's got to tell them to get up and go. You've You've got other kids you've got to raise. You've got a husband or a wife you've got to love. You've got people depending on you. You can't stop the ship because of suicide. How did the resurrection affect Peter? It helped Peter realize that even though he lost someone close to him, you still got to go on and walk with God. And just as sure as one day you'll bury your mom or your dad or your cousin or your uncle, you're going to have to continue living for God. You've got to go on. I think some of the hardest funerals to do, for me at least, is when I have to preach a funeral for somebody who has taken their own life or when I've had to do funerals for kids. Those are never easy. Never easy. But even after the funeral, I still have to let people know you still got to live. You can't spend the rest of your life sitting in the house with a cloud of depression over you. Peter stood up and said to the disciples, we've got to select somebody to take Judas' place. Somebody has to do this. Well, for us that are believers, we we need to know that we live in a society that just like Judas is going out of its way to betray the Lord every day, to undermine the authority and the position of Christ. And our culture certainly is opposed to Christ, just like the culture of the rabbis and the Sadducees was opposed to who Jesus was and all that he stood for. And that is why they were able to purchase Judas for 30 pieces of silver. But there are plenty of preachers in America right now that the world has purchased for less than that. Change their message, change their outlook, change their belief system. There are plenty of politicians and people of influence who attend churches that have sold their souls to the devil to betray Christ. You know that in the state of Oregon, they just recently passed a law that essentially makes it impossible for a Christian to adopt children. Who would have thought United States of America? It's that antichrist spirit that found its habitation in a Judas 
and was able to undermine the authority of Christ. Why are these things happening in our nation today? It is because there's the Antichrist spirit working to undermine the authority of Christ. Why? Because the authority of Christ had been so prevalent for so many hundreds of years here. See, decades, a couple of centuries. Jesus' name could be mentioned without being a scapegoat or being mocked and teased and abused. But now, not quite. So what does God need? He needs some people that will stand up just like Peter and say, look, just because we have a culture committing suicide and, and, and basically trying to kill it on its own self, we don't have to be that way. We as the church can stand up and remain strong with God and continue. See? This is what Peter is saying here in Acts chapter one. The effect of the resurrection on him was so great. He said, I know this man is alive. We've got to keep this going. And that's why in chapter two, when he stood up on the day of Pentecost and people heard all of these different languages, he let them know the effect of this was personal prophecy. And Joel had prophesied this hundreds of years before. And this is why we should tell our nation and people today that what you see happening today is happening because it was prophesied in scripture. People say today, what, what, what's, what's the world coming to? An end. It's what it's coming to, an end. The end of an age. Christ is going to return one day. And we've got two revivals that are taking place simultaneously that will occur until the end of time. The first revival will be the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People are going to be saved. People are going to be healed. People are going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost right up to the end as Joel prophesied. But running along on a parallel track. Is the falling away. There'll be people turning away from God, just like Judas. In the midst of red hot revival, turning away from God. People that'll walk away from the truth of the word of God in order to follow idolatry. To become atheist, agnostic. Why are they doing this? Because it's prophesied. But yet Peter again, he stands up and he said, here is the truth of God. This is the effect of the resurrection. He can interpret prophecy. He can see the times in which we're living and refuses to change the truth. This is what God said. And I'm only saying what God says. That's what Peter is telling these people. And then here in chapter three, when the great miracle takes place, he tells the crippled man, I don't have any money for you, but I do have a name and I know a man and I'm a direct witness of this man's ability. And now this man lives inside of me. And since he lives in me, I want you to know that he's alive and well. And he reached out and grabbed him. And the Bible says his feet and his ankle received strength. That's a credible witness. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe Jesus is alive when someone requests prayer from you? Or do you just pray a prayer? You know, you got plenty, plenty of 16th century and 17th century prayers by the Puritans that you can pray that aren't even scriptural. Or you can find the word of God and you can pray and believe that God is there to meet a person's need. When you pray for someone to become a Christian and you lead them to Christ and they say, I'm willing to pray a prayer with you. Do you pray the prayer believing that God actually can change a person's life? That's a credible witness. The effect of the resurrection on Peter was so great 
that a crippled man found healing. And when Jesus was working through Peter and the miracle occurred, Peter had to stand up again in verse 12 and say, folks, don't look on us. We haven't done this miracle. It's not because we're holy and we certainly don't have any power. But I love what he says to them in verse 14. All of you denied the Holy One and you murdered him and killed him. But God raised him from the dead. What did Peter refuse to do? He refused to change the truth of what happened. He didn't revise history. He didn't stand in front of all of his Jewish brethren and say, look, I don't want to sound anti-Jewish and I don't want to offend any of you and make you think that you, you don't have any culpability in all of this. He stood right there, put the blame on them and said, you jokers are guilty of killing our savior. But God raised him from the dead. That's a man touched by the resurrection. See, if you get up and preach or you witness to somebody and then in the middle of witnessing you got to apologize about what you believe you don't believe nothing but if you can stand firmly upon the historical truths of the word of God and say this is what God has said you're correct don't worry about what Mr. and Mrs. Moneybags have to say and, and don't be concerned about Sister Bucketmouth and, and all of these other people that have all kinds of things they, they want to say. Declare the truth as a credible witness. So then to personalize this, what kind of an effect has the resurrection had on you? See, what kind of an effect? Are you the kind of a believer that honestly trusts that God has come to live in your heart? Yeah. Can you look in the face of the worst kinds of sin and come to the conclusion that the blood of Jesus can redeem him and her just like you redeemed me? Because there's some people can't do that. Some people won't do that, I should say. They'll look at some sins and they'll say, oh, my goodness, I, I just don't know, Pastor. I mean, my cousin, he's lived a pretty bad life and, and I, it just we've been praying for him for 35 years and I'm not sure God can get to him. Well, did God get to you? Well, if he can get to you, he can get to anybody. I think all of us in here would agree if the Lord could save male, he can save anybody in this room. And I know I can testify that if God can save me, he can save anybody in this room. And if you can look around to the left or the right and realize that God could save Tina Reed, he can save anybody in Hebron. And when you know that, it makes you a credible witness. I had somebody call me the other day. They said, Pastor, I've been trying to witness to a relative and my relative is lost. And, and they're asking me about scriptures and I don't know where to start. And, and how can I help demonstrate and show to them that God is real? I said, don't start with a scripture other than telling them about how you were born again. Start with your testimony because they've known you. They've known how you've lived. And then tell them about the change that coming to know Christ, what that's made in your life. See how it's changed your speech, your, your attitude, your outlook. Everything about you has changed because of Jesus. The effect of the resurrection is powerful when we really give everything to God. You know, trust him. In Chicago, back in the... Late 1850s, early 1860s, a man was walking down the street, ran into a young man that he hadn't seen in a while. And he asked the young man, 
how he was doing and what was going on. And the young man said to him, I've just really been praying and, and, and thinking about what, what can God do with a man that's fully consecrated to God? What can God do with a man like that, fully consecrated? Well, he said that to that older gentleman, and that man thought about that, and it just kind of weighed on his heart for a little while. He went home, and he himself started thinking about that. God, what can you do with somebody who's fully consecrated to you? And in prayer, he said, God, I think I'll do that. I'll give my all and everything to you. He was a shoe salesman, but he felt like God put it on his heart to start gathering little kids in something like a Sunday school. So he did. And from that Sunday school, he walked away from selling shoes and went on to become one of the greatest evangelists we had, Dwight L. Moody. What can God do with a man or woman that fully consecrates himself to God? The effect of the resurrection upon him led him across the ocean, preached in Spurgeon's church and other churches in England. It was a man without any kind of Bible college or seminary teaching at all. He just very simply taught the word of God, knowing that God's word, if it's simple enough for a fisherman, a shepherd and other farmers, it's simple enough and easy enough for everybody else around the world. But that resurrection life worked in him so powerfully. It changed his life. What's the effect of that on you? However young, however old, what's the effect of that resurrection life on you. Can you truly forgive when you feel offended by someone? Can you truly forgive? I've told people before, you may not want to forgive me, but you have to if you want to go to heaven. Yeah. And, and I'm sure a lot of you in here have passed up plenty of opportunities at being offended at me. I tease people in sermons, I call people names or, you know, mention them or whatever, whatever I'm doing to try to make a point. But 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 here's the thing. You still have to walk in forgiveness. But if you passed up plenty of opportunities to to forgive me or be offended to me, how many think I passed up dealing with you? Yeah. How many times you think I've had to pray through and say, God, you're going to have to help me because, you know, Lord, sometimes Sister Jennifer, she just. You're going to have to help me, God, you know. But listen, that resurrection life in us makes it possible for us to live this life every day. And you are always going to come in contact with people that Peter had to come in contact with, that Jesus had to come in contact with. And that same spirit that led those folks to kill Christ is the same spirit that's animating in this culture that wants to see Jesus church go down. It will always be that way. And that's not to end on a negative thought. That's to end on the truth. But to know that resurrection is preceded by death. And where there's the attempt to murder and to put Christ to death, you can expect there's going to be resurrection. And that name, that powerful name, is going to be made strong in the earth. One day every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Don't you worry about it at all. Don't think that people are getting away with anything. They're not. Every knee is going to bow. You look around this earth and see the unrighteousness that's taking place. Terrible, wicked people that are on thrones and in positions of power. We shake our heads. It grieves us. We say, Lord, how long are we going to have to deal with this? But I'm telling you, every knee is going to bow and people are going to stand before God. They are not getting away with anything. Let's stand. Yeah. I'm so glad he came up out of that grave. 
I am. Because he did, we we know that one day we're going to be with him. You know, if somebody had a whistle in here to call for dogs, you blow that whistle, the only ones going to hear that noise would be those dogs and other animals that could hear that. But none of us probably, unless we got really sensitive ears, we won't be able to hear that. But 1 Corinthians 15 says that one day, when that mystery is fulfilled, it talks about how in the twinkling of an eye we'll be changed. It talks about the, the sound of a trumpet being blown. Everything's going to change. Do you know the only people going to hear that trumpet are the people that are in the body of Christ? Amen. Yeah. I, I could very well be up here one evening preaching the gospel, that trumpet sound blares and I'm telling you I'm airborne I'm gone and you, you'll be down here looking for the left behind series I'm airborne I'm, go- <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> going to be with the king but it's a great day to be alive if you're alive amen 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 we trust that something we said tonight minister to every heart and if anybody tonight need, needs any further prayer or special prayer, we want to minister to you and ask God to do wonderful things for you. But let's pray. Father, thank you. Your word is true. And when we think of your son coming up out of that grave, how it has influenced us. God, if we haven't done all that we could do, to allow that life to be manifested through us, shine the light on us. Help us to see how we can do this better. I pray you make every one of our people here tonight credible witnesses throughout this community. And Father, I pray this place will just overflow with hungry hearts and souls and people that want to know you in a better way. These things we pray for in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen, 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 amen. God bless you folks. Tuesday night, we'll